This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me to the Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel according to Mark, and let's find Mark chapter number 4. We'll begin reading in verse number 21. Mark chapter number 4 and verse number 21. I have enjoyed being in church today, haven't you? And uh, what a blessing it is to be with God's people in God's house. Mark chapter 4. It's been a little while since we've been in Mark, and we come back to Mark this morning. And uh, we, uh, when we sort of take a, when we took a break, sort of, from our study uh, in Mark as we got into the Christmas season, and then uh, also as we began this year, uh, we've gone through what it means to worship as a church together and uh, what we do in our corporate worship. Uh, now we come back to Mark chapter 4. And having looked at the parable of the sower in verses 1 through 20, we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ continues to speak uh, to his disciples and to those who gather to hear him in the form of parables. I want us to look uh, in verse number 21. The Bible says, and he said unto them, it is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone he expounded all things to his disciples. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before your word today, and we pray that as we enter into your word, that our hearts would be fertile soil, that the seed of the word of God would find a place of reception in our hearts, that it would grow and bring forth fruit. 
We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open the book to us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we came to chapter 4, we find the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching, and he teaches in the form of a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It literally means to cast alongside, and what we find is the Lord Jesus, who has taught clearly and plainly and performed many miraculous works to reveal to the Jews of that day who exactly he was, that he was the Son of God. And though he has revealed himself, and though he has taught them clearly and plainly, and though he has performed these wonderful miracles which authenticated his message and his identity as the Son of God, many have rejected him. And so he begins to speak to them in the form of parables. He'll begin to use an expression that we find throughout uh, the Gospels, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. And what we find is that not everyone has an ear to hear. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ today as your Savior, I want you to know it is because you have heard the message of the Gospel. And not only have you heard it audibly, but as you heard it, the Spirit of God began to speak to you and reveal to you the truth of the message of God and to reveal to you clearly the person of Jesus Christ. And as you saw the Lord Jesus and understood him and was introduced to him in the Word of God and you were confronted by your own sinfulness and by your own need of a Savior, you by faith received the message of salvation and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse you of your sin and to be your Savior. And I want to tell you that if you did that, if you believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ according to the Word of God, you have become a believer, a Christian, whose sin is forgiven and your home is in heaven. You have an ear to hear. And some, as the Lord Jesus reveals to us in this opening parable, will bring forth fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, a hundredfold. But there are others who have no room for the Word of God. They have no reception. And of course, as we looked at verses 1 through 20, we saw there were four different types of soil. There was the wayside. That was the hard heart where there was no reception. There was the stony ground. That meant that the seed had no depth, no root. And uh, then there was the thorny ground. And there was no room for the Word of God because of the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. And so there are those who hear the message and who will not receive it. And I'm praying that God will speak to your heart today and that you will receive it. Not only that you would receive it, but that the Word of God may work powerfully in your life, that you would become a fruitful Christian. Now, I, I, I'm thinking about that 30-fold, that 60-fold, and that 100-fold. And I'm praying that God would help me to be that hundredfold fruit. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to desire that in your life? That you would bring forth much fruit for the glory of God. Now as the Lord Jesus continues along this theme in verses 21 through 34, I want to show you this morning the principles of sowing. The principles of sowing. We've looked at the parable of the sower but now I want you to see the principles of sowing. And the Lord Jesus continues teaching in parabolic form and gives us four thoughts that I'd like to share with you this morning concerning 
the sower. And I'm glad to know that I've received uh, the truth of God's word. That means my heart is the soil and I've received the seed, which is the word of God. And that word has produced fruit in my life. But having received it as the soil, I then become responsible not only as the soil, but as the sower. And what I have this morning in front of me is a group of seed sowers. The mission of our church is to sow the seeds of the gospel in our community and, and around the world. And we partner with people and we support them prayerfully. We support them financially to enable them as God leads them to get to places across the world where they can proclaim this message of the gospel so that souls can be saved, lives reclaimed, sins forgiven, and people have a home in heaven for all eternity. And so here we are. We are a meeting this morning of seed sowers. And we're gathered together in the barn, and we're getting ready to take our seed, and we're getting ready to go out into the fields throughout this week, Monday through Saturday, even today, as we go, and we are carrying the seed. And the Lord Jesus gives us here uh, four principles for the sowing of the seed. Now, I want you to see them, and I hope you'll write them down. Number one, the first principle is sow obediently. Sow obediently. I want you to look with me again, if you would please, in verse 21. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick. Now, this is an illustration everyone understood in those days and everyone understands today. You look at this room, it is lit. I'm glad that we have lights. And you'll find those lights in the ceiling. You will not find them in the floor. You'll find them in the ceiling. You find lights along the wall. The reason they're located along the wall and in the ceiling is so that the light can uh, brighten, illuminate the room. And that way you and I can see one another. That means we can see uh, the Bible that we hold in front of our hand or the hymn book that we hold. We have light in an elevated position so that that light can be shed forth and we will not grope in the darkness. We need light. And so the Lord Jesus, speaking to this collection of sowers, uses this illustration of the light. And just as the light is not to be hidden, notice, it is not to be put under a bushel. Uh, it's not to be kept under a basket. Uh, it is not to be placed under a bed. No, you don't take a light, a candle, and put it under the bed. You put it up on the candlestick so that the light can radiate and illuminate the room. In the same sense that the light is placed in such a position, uh, the seed is not to be kept in the barn. It's not to be kept in the storage uh, unit. It is to be sown openly in the field. You see, the Lord Jesus using this illustration helps us understand that light, uh, light speaks of truth. Light speaks of the truth of God's word. And we live in a dark world. I want you to go with me to the gospel according to John and find, if you would please, John chapter number one. The gospel according to John. In John chapter number one, 
And we find that the world is a dark place. By the way, I'm sure if you've watched the news, you've known that to be true, right? John chapter 1 and verse number 4. Uh, notice, if you would, please, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word. You notice something about that word, Word. It's capitalized. And normally we don't capitalize that word unless it begins a sentence. The only other reason that it would be capitalized is because it's a proper name. And so we understand that here we are introduced to someone whose name is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. What we find here is the introduction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find is that he is referred to as the word. He is equivalent to the truth. He is the source of the truth. He is the author of the truth. And to picture and to illustrate that for us, the Bible says he is not only the word, he is life and he is light. And we live in a dark, dark world. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 that the wicked of this world, they stumble in the darkness and they know not what they're stumbling over. They're living and groping in darkness. We live in a generation that is, is ever learning, the Bible says, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're never able to see and understand and discern the light of the glorious gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. You see, we live in a dark world, and Jesus says to us in John chapter 8 and verse number 12, I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ is that light. He is that truth. He is that word in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, the Bible says in verse number 5, Paul speaking here to the church at Corinth, it says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants uh, for Jesus' sake. Paul said, We are apostles, and we proclaim a message. We do not hold ourselves up. We do not promote ourselves. We do not consider ourselves to be beacons of light. No, we have one message, and that is the message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the light of the world. And he says in verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. You see, a world without God is a dark world, and a life without Christ is is a dark life. The Bible said God commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. He hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Uh, we believe this morning that Jesus is the light of the world. Amen? And we believe that the light, the light must be lifted up so that the world in darkness may be exposed to the light. Because there are a lot of things that are hidden in the darkness that once the light touches the darkness are no longer hidden. And then we're confronted because of the light, because of the truth, we're confronted with who we are. We're sinners 
in need of a savior. And we're confronted with who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father but by him. Now, once we have received that light, Jesus says that we're responsible for that light. I want you to look with me, Matthew chapter number five and verse number 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Notice verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. Now the Bible tells me that the church of the living God, the people of God are the salt of the earth and they're the light of the world. And he says if the salt has lost its savor, then what is it good for? I wonder as we live in this current age, as we see all the changes adrift among the churches, as we see the culture shifting away from God, I wonder if we're being more effective as the church shifts or less effective in being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I would propose to you that we've not become more effective by changing our methodology, by adapting our worship to meet the needs of the world. I would propose to you that we have become less effective. You see, we are the salt of the earth. Now, if you've ever been on a low-sodium diet, maybe you've had to try that salt substitute. And you've already found out that that salt substitute just doesn't get the job done. I like to eat with salt. I know it's not good for you. I haven't had the doctor tell me I, I, I need to stop eating it yet. I'm glad, I'm glad about that. But some of you, maybe you have blood pressure problems and different things, and, and they've told you those things. Uh, that salt substitute just doesn't get the job done. And what we need is we need to return back to the truth of God's Word. We need to be the people that God has called us to be. We need to proclaim the message that God has called us to proclaim. We need... Not to dim the light, we need to hold the light up and let it shine. The world needs to be confronted with the light. By the way, not everybody in the world is going to like the light. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that men do not come to the light because they love the darkness rather than the light. And the reason they love darkness rather than light is because their deeds are evil. They don't want to be reproved by the light. Do you know why the world is screaming today at people who believe the Bible? Do you know why they're calling us names like bigots and, and all sorts of intolerant people that we, we supposedly are? It is because they are convicted by the light of the message of the truth of God's word. And so to capitulate to that crowd, many are trying to turn the light down. We need to hold the light up. We don't need to hide it under the bushel. We don't need to dim it. We don't need to put it under the bed. We need to hold it up. We need to be obedient. We don't need to be undercover Christians. We don't, we're not in the secret service. We're ambassadors for Jesus. We have the message of the gospel. We have the seed to sow, and we are to get the seed out of the barn and into the field. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want to ask you a question. Are you ashamed of the gospel? 
I would say the answer to that question would come by measuring how much you speak of it. How many attempts you make to give it to somebody. You see, we need to be bold, obedient, proclaimers of the gospel because as Jesus said, we are the light of the world. Notice verse 14. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And he giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Your life, your attitude, your actions reveal or conceal the light of the gospel. We're to sow. How are we to sow? We're to sow, number one, obediently. Number two, we are to sow abundantly. Notice, if you would please, again, in the gospel according to Mark chapter number four, verse number 23 If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For for he that hath, to him shall be given, and he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. Here we find that this accountability to, 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 to sow the seed as receivers of the seed, as as the Bible says, as hearers of the message, uh, we are then now accountable for the message. Now, we're accountable to adhere to it, the message of God's word. Having received it in truth, we understand that it, is, it, is, it gives direction for our life. Uh, there are principles and commands in the scripture that we cannot escape and get around but we are responsible to live according to these commands. That's why Jesus said that we are to teach. Part of the job of the church is to teach them, that's believers, to observe all things that I have commanded you. That is the responsibility of the church, to teach the people uh, to obey God. So we're accountable to be adherers of the word, and we are accountable to be proclaimers of the word. Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 14, before he uttered that statement, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he said, for I am a debtor. I'm a debtor. You see, Paul was a a religious man. Uh, he, he, He knew about God, but he didn't know Jesus. And he was going about in his religious practices, but he was unsaved. He had not received the light of the gospel. On the way to Damascus, the Lord Jesus revealed himself to him with a mighty light. And the apostle Paul was confronted with his own sin and confronted with the truth of who Jesus is, the Son of God. And the apostle Paul believed on the name of the Lord Jesus. And having received that message, he now understood something that there was a responsibility that came with it, and he was now a debtor, a debtor. And what does a debtor do? Well, he makes his payment. I think of those men 
those lepers in, in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse number 9. You remember the story? The Syrian army came against uh, Israel. They came against them and besieged them. And uh, nobody could get inside the walls of the city of Samaria. Nobody could get outside because the Syrian army had come against them. And the people in the city were starving to death. There were four lepers outside the walls of the city. They couldn't be inside because they had this dreadful leprosy. And they were starving to death and they were dying from this dreadful condition. And so they said, let's go to the camp of the Syrians. It may be that they'll have mercy on us and they'll feed us. Or it may be that they kill us. But we're going to die either way if we just sit here. So they went to the camp of the Syrians. When they got to the camp of the Syrians, they discovered there wasn't anybody in the camp. The tents were there. The food was there. The weapons were there. But God had answered the prayers of the people of Israel and had scared that Syrian army. And they ran off in the night thinking they were running from a mighty army. They were running from the presence of God. And they left all their food and all their gold and everything they had right there in the camp. And those four leprous men walked into that camp and they said, man, look here. The buffet is open. And they started eating. And as they ate, they said, have you tried the chicken? Oh, it's great. How about the ham? What about the potato salad? No, I don't like potato salad. Well, here's some mashed potatoes. I'll take the mashed potatoes. You want some cherry cobbler? Oh, I'll take some cherry cobbler. And while they're eating and dining on all these things, one of them says, wait a minute, fellas. We, 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 we do not well. This is a day of good tidings. You say, here's what happened. They, as they enjoyed the meal, they started thinking about those people inside the walls of Samaria who were starving to death. And they said, wait a minute. God's done a work here. There's food in abundance for all those people, and we're enjoying it. We're not doing too well here. We better go tell those people because if we don't, some mischief will befall us. You see, they understood something. They had received the good news and they were responsible to proclaim the message of the gospel. There's the Lord Jesus speaks of the servants, the servant that had the 10 talents, the servant that had the five, and the servant that had one. The guy with the... Uh, the 10, he went out and he invested those 10 talents. That doesn't speak of abilities. It speaks of currency. He invested those 10 talents and he made 10 more. And then the guy, uh, or he invested the five rather, and he got five more. Then the man with two invested the two and he got two more. And then there was the man with the one and he didn't invest his. He had one. He had something. He was given something to use. He was given an opportunity, but he did not use it. He said on it. And so when the Lord came back to uh, make his servants accountable, uh, the one said, hey, I've gained five more. The other said, I've, I've gained two more. I've been trading. I've been using this. Uh, and uh, the fellow with one said, I, I was afraid. I, I didn't really do much. And so here's your one back. You see, the Lord said to his servant that day, he said, you are an unjust servant you've done the wrong thing here 
And that one talent that he had, he took it away from him. And he gave it to the man who had now the ten. You see, what we find in that parable is this principle, that once we've heard the truth, we are responsible for it, to live by it and to proclaim it. We are not to sow sparingly, we are to sow abundantly. You know, in just a few weeks, some of you are going to get your fertilizer spreader and your seed uh, spreader out. It's in the tool shed maybe or some part of the garage where you've forgotten where it's at. And you're going to dig it out. And you're going to fill it up. And you're going to set the dial. And the dial is going to tell uh, the machine how, how, how much to circulate, how much fertilizer, and, and how much seed to throw out there. And look, when it comes to the truth of the gospel, don't set that thing on zero. Don't, don't set that thing on one. Set it wide open. And let's sow abundantly. The truth that we've been given, God expects us to do something with it. And that's not just sit on it. It is to proclaim it and get it out in the fields. I want to give you the third thing we find here. Not only do we see we're to sow obediently and we're to sow abundantly, but we are to sow dependently. Look in verse 26, Mark chapter number four, and he said unto them, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he putteth his sickle because the harvest is come. Now here's something most of us understand. It's the cycle of the farmer. And what does he do? Well, he sows the seed. He puts the seed in the plowed field. He sows it. And then after he sowed it that day, there's not a whole lot more he can do. He might be able to water it. It might need to be watered. But that's about as much as he can do. And the Bible tells us that after the farmer sows the seed, he sleeps. Verse 27 <clears throat> and should sleep and rise night and day. In other words, he just goes about his business. He just gets back into the cycle of life. He goes to bed at night. He sleeps through the night. He gets up in the day, and he goes about his activities. All the while, that seed is in the ground. He's sown it, but now he has to rest in the fact that the sown seed is one day going to produce fruit. After a while, that farmer may walk out in the field and he'll see something green shooting up out of that field. He'll see something growing. He'll watch it grow. If it's corn, as, as the illustration here, it will grow tall in those corn stalks. And it won't be long before you'll be able to see those ears beginning to form on those stalks. And it won't be long before those ears are fully formed. And you can walk out into the field with your knife uh, or with uh, some instrument that you have, and you can cut that corn, or you can break that corn off that stalk. You can shuck that corn, you can silk that corn, uh, you can boil it and eat it, and you're going to enjoy it, that silver queen corn. It's delicious, and you're going to like it. You can make it cream style, you can eat it on the cob. It's just good stuff, you see. But let me tell you what the sower does. He sows the seed. And then after that, he rests. 
That doesn't mean he quits sowing. He finds other seeds, other fields to sow in. But let me tell you, he can do nothing to produce the fruit. All he can do is sow the seed and water it if he's able. What brings life to that seed? The Bible says the farmer doesn't know how that works. What brings salvation to a lost soul? You and I can't figure that out. All we know is that we proclaim the message of the gospel. What we know is that as we're faithful to proclaim the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit will work in the hearts of people. What we know is that some will receive the message of the gospel and some will reject the message of the gospel. Our responsibility is not to produce the fruit. Our responsibility is to sow the seed. Now the question comes, not how much fruit you've produced as far as souls converted, but how much seed have you sown? And if you don't see much fruit, wouldn't that be a good indicator that we haven't sown much seed? And so as we sow the seed, we understand that salvation is of the Lord. Paul said, who's Apollos? Who is Paul? We're just ministers. He said, I have planted, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 rather, verse 6 and 7, I have planted, Apollos, he's watered, but notice this please, God giveth the increase. I want to tell you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it is only because he has revealed himself to you. It is because of this, the work of the power of the Holy Ghost to confront you and convict you with your sin and to draw you to the person of Jesus. Thanks be unto God if you know the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord, perhaps today by his spirit, he is speaking to you to reveal to you your need of him. And you would come to him today. It is all a work of God. There is nothing that you and I can do to obtain salvation, to, to earn favor in the sight of God. We just receive what Christ has done for us, the death he died on the cross of Calvary, the blood he shed that redeems us from all our sins. And so when we sow, we sow dependently. Now I've given you three principles for sowing. Number one, sow obediently. Don't hide it. Don't be a secret service Christian. Be out and out. Get your seed sack and start sowing. Don't sow sparingly, but secondly, sow abundantly. Get the message of the gospel everywhere you can, to your co-workers, to your neighbors, to your friends, to those you meet in the stores. Get the gospel out. That's what the Lord Jesus said. Then the third thing, sow dependently. As you sow, you trust me to produce the fruit. Here's the fourth thing. Sow confidently. Sow confidently. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. Now, again, the people of that day, they, they knew the agricultural landscape. They understood all about that. 
Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. That was a very small seed. It was a very minute seed. As Jesus said with his own mouth, it is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. Uh, here we find that the Lord Jesus is saying, farmers, of all the seeds you got in your tool shed right now or in your barn, the mustard seed, that's the least. And that is what the kingdom of God is like. It is like the seed of the mustard seed, the grain of it, less than all the seeds. It's not impressive. In fact, it kind of goes contrary to human nature to think that that seed could produce such a great harvest or a great crop. Notice what the Lord said, this seed that is, that is less than all seeds. Notice what he says in verse 32. But when it is sown, there's the difference. Now look, until it is sown, what is it? It's just a seed. But when it is sown, when the message is delivered, when the gospel track is delivered, when the sermon is shared, when the testimony is given, when this small, insignificant, in the eyes of man, seed is sown, something glorious happens. Notice what he says. It groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs. There's nothing in the garden greater than the mustard seed. It grows up and it's large, greater than all the herbs. It shooteth out great branches. Now I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And Paul comments for us here concerning the message of the gospel. Remember now, Paul said just a moment ago, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here's that little bitty seed. I remember we went to camp one year and the Mike Speck trio was there and they, they taught us that song. The word of God is like little bitty seeds scattered all around. Here's that little bitty seed insignificant seed of the message of the gospel. And Paul's going to Rome, this place that controls the known world, this place of political power, this place of, of, uh, of, of, of great uh, achievement in the arts and, and philosophy and, and architecture. And you go on and on, and, and you, you understand the great accomplishments of Rome and how they looked at disdain upon a crucified Jesus and his message. But Paul said, I'm going there with a power greater than Rome has ever known. I'm going there with a message of the gospel, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of this little bitty seed, because when it's planted, it's going to do something mighty. It's going to do something powerful. And I want to tell you, in less than three centuries, the Roman Empire had adopted Christianity as its official religion. Now, certainly they perverted it and, and twisted it, but let me tell you, the message of the gospel went forward. Though Nero tried to persecute them and eliminate them, 
they went forward. Though the Jews, the, the Judaistic leaders in Jerusalem tried to eliminate them and commanded them to no more preach in the message of Jesus, I want to tell you the message of Jesus went forward. It went forward. You see, when it is sown, it grows. And it becomes greater than all the herbs. And it shoots out great branches. Now notice what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, for the preaching, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. That means those who don't know the Lord, they don't know Jesus, and they've rejected his message. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. It's just a little bitty insignificant seed. But notice what he says. But unto us, which are saved, it's the power of God. You see, that insignificant message is foolishness to the world. You know, the message of, of, of uh, Jesus, of Nazareth, born of a virgin, that's foolishness to the world. Lived a sinless life, that's foolishness to the world. Died on the cross for our sin, that's foolishness to the world. Was buried, rose again the third day, that's foolishness to the world. Walked among his disciples for 40 days, seen of more than 500 at one time, received up into the heavens, commanded his disciples to preach the gospel to every creature. That's foolishness to the world. But let me tell you, when that foolishness is sown, it grows in the hearts of those who will receive it. And it becomes greater than all the herbs of the field. Do you know who built the colleges in this nation? Do you know who founded them? Bible-believing Christians. Do you know who built the hospitals? Do you know who determined the direction of our nation and drafted the documents of the Constitution of the United States, the Declaration of Independence? Primarily, that was done by people who were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The seed was sown in their heart, and it brought forth great fruit. And those great branches, those great branches shot forth. Now, Jesus tells us that when those great branches shoot forth, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Look back in Mark chapter number 4. In verse number 32, when it is sown, that's the message of the gospel, it groweth up, becometh great, greater than all the herbs, shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Now, we have to wonder, what, what does that mean, the fowls of the air? And when we look at the previous parable, we see that the fowls of the air are used of the devil to snatch the seed. So when we interpret this parable, we understand the fowls of the air, they're not believers. They're unbelievers. They're not agents of God. They're agents of the devil. And what we find is we see that this, the, the, the fruits of the gospel, when they're sown, produce such wonderful things, and the fowls of the air can find rest underneath their branches. You know, we live in a, we live in a nation that has been uniquely blessed of God. Do you know that there's no nation on the face of this earth that ever had such a Christian beginning as this nation, the United States of America. And now for years and years, the fowls of the air have lodged underneath the branches. 
that were built on the truths of God's word. We're living in that day where the devil wants to pervert. The devil wants to destroy. The devil wants to tear down the truth of God's word. He wants to hinder and harm the church of Jesus Christ. And we understand that we live in that day, but having enjoyed those blessings and now living in this day, what we must do is not shirk or withdraw from the light or our responsibility to get the seed out. What we must do is renew our commitment to get the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Now church, this is what God has called us to do. We are to sow obediently. What are we doing? Are we finding so many other things to do we've got no time to sow? Are, are, we, are we hiding that light under the bushel or under the bed because we don't want to offend anybody? We're called to get the gospel out to let the light shine. So sow abundantly, sow obediently, sow dependently. Trust God, trust God that he's going to bring forth fruit and then sow confidently knowing that what God has done in the past He'll do it again if we'll be obedient to him. When George Cooper came to Hickory, North Carolina in 1941, he came and set up a tent and he began to preach the gospel. Do you think George Cooper understood what God was going to do with that meeting? Oh, he might have had some visions and dreams and hopes, but I, I don't know that he could have ever imagined that a church would start out of that meeting and a group of people would meet together for more now than... 75 years, more than that at this point, that God would work and bless and use this church as a beacon of light in this community. And now he wants to continue to use us. And so may God help us to get the seed out of the barn. Four principles, so obediently. Are you getting the message out? Or are you hiding it? So abundantly, not just a little bit, but everywhere, as much as you can, get the seed out of the barn. So dependently, don't put confidence in yourself. Don't, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Trust that God's going to work. Number four, so confidently, and we'll see God continue to do great things. What kind of church do you want to have? One that just coasts in? We did the best we could, Lord. We, we held on. Or do you want to be that one that occupies till he comes? That brings him much glory. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of Christian I hope God will allow me to be. Let's sow the seed. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link 
provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.